Welcome to the Propaganda Report. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. We have a very special guest today. He is America's most trusted lawyer. And that could <laughs> make him the first among one, but we'll leave that alone for now. He goes by Legal Man and has the must-listen podcast called The Quash. I love his show. It's uh, only 20 minutes an episode, so I really like that it's short. It's not exactly sweet, but somehow Legal Man's combination of legal knowledge, experience, dark humor, self-righteous anger, and well-placed profanity just cracks me up every time. So without... Any further ado, I bring you a legal man. Welcome. Well, thank you. Welcome. Thank you for having me. It is. It was really a pleasure for me to discover your show because somehow you take the stuff that really drives us all crazy and is ruining everything for everyone, and it makes me laugh. And it's mostly because you're just pissed off all the time, but you're so <laughs> articulate about it, and you weave your great expertise in with a an artful use of vulgarity, and I just don't know why it tickles my fancy, but I've talked about your show a few times on my show, and I just felt like I really wanted to ask you questions and find out where you came from and all that stuff, and um, Binkley, you turned us on to something. We have a show called The Propaganda Report, and we had never heard of the your the propagandist you highlighted on your blog who willie what's his name munzenberg yeah. yeah so binkley i bought binkley a book based on your recommendation of getting into that guy so we've got lots to talk about we only have an <laughs> yes. hour to talk about it so let's <laughs> dig in but first legal man i just wanted to ask you just a little bit about your background and kind of what what you've been doing all this time to build up your I mean, obviously you're a lawyer, but like your your knowledge is so broad and deep. What's your kind of background and experience? What do you focus on? Well, you know, I, I did. I actually have practiced for for just more than 30 years. I graduated uh, a little more than 30 years ago. And when I got out, I went first. I clerked at some of these big sort of national firms with hundreds and hundreds of lawyers in them. Uh, during the summer. And then I took a job at a big firm with hundreds and hundreds of lawyers. And I kind of saw the way the system worked there. And it was pretty despicable. And so I I left after about three and a half years. And really, I would have been booted a lot earlier, except I had a couple partners that really liked me. But I was a troublemaker um, at the place. And I just, I'm kind of a, I'm just kind of a troublemaker wherever I go if people don't do the right thing. I just, I tend to call it out. And so I left and I went and worked at the PD's office being a public defender because I wanted to take, to try some cases and wow, really get in the courtroom. Defender. I wouldn't have pegged you for that. Yeah. Well, you know, a prosecutor just didn't sound very good to me, but, uh, you so know, you I wanted knew to get even a bunch of trials. That I'm sorry? You even knew back then. Yeah. I, I mean, it's I've a little tricky because- that. Public defender, it feels like, oh, you're defending guilty people. But if you're, say, have a right. libertarian bent, you realize that so much of the law and even the process is like 98 percent of all case of all convictions are from plea bargains. That's, yeah, they just that's plead not people the right out. process. Yeah, they plead people out. And, you know, the reality is for me, you know, I'm a lawyer. You're either entitled to a, a, a defense or you're not. I mean, the state is incredibly powerful. And so I've always been a hardcore libertarian my whole life. And, uh, you know, I was raised in a family with my father who was really basically a communist. And, 
<laughs> and so it was a strange deal. And I know he still is a very much a hardcore liberal even today. He doesn't talk about it much. But, you know, that's kind of what I grew up in. And we argued all the time. I mean, all the time. That was just kind of a family pastime. Not like argued angrily with each other, just argued a lot. And so I became quite adept at it. And then when I became a public defender, I saw how really, truly crooked that system was. I, I couldn't take it very long. I stayed about a year and a half to try a bunch of cases. Then I went and I worked with uh, some friends of mine from law school, started a personal injury firm. And I went there and that, that was actually pretty interesting and helpful to, again, sort of represent sort of individuals. And people always run down kind of, uh, quote, ambulance chasers. But people don't understand those are the people who represent the individuals. These people slit their own throats when they represent insurance companies. <laughs> then they realize, oh, my God, now I'm hurt. Now I need something. And uh, well, I so, have a question about that. Yeah. I, mm -hmm. As we go through all the damages that people say could happen if you don't wear a mask or if you write something scary online or provocative online. And I mean, I told you I went to law school, but I'm not a practicing lawyer. I really don't know. I'm just trying to remember from the really <laughs> nebulous BS I learned in school that seemed to get me further from the truth. But as I look at all these cases, I can almost always say, like when they say, well, you can't cry fire in a crowded theater. My answer is actually, I think you can, as long as you are responsible, you are, this system is set up to hold you responsible for actual damages. And that's a big deterrent. And I would say the same thing about online speech. If you can prove actual damages, which is all like tort law, I think that's the answer to the regulatory state. I might be a little rusty on this, and they didn't teach me libertarianism in law school. But am I right about like I feel like that is the one defense we have against having to have the big apparatus of the of bureaucracy and regulations. So we're talking about the the, the attempt to regulate online speech. Yes, and yeah. yes, I'm talking mainly about speech that they say we have to regulate it because you could hurt people, and I say that you don't have to regulate it that's what that's what being held responsible for actual damages comes from sure. is in is our system for that yeah and for me this would be a good example of what i call the difference between strategy and logistics and that is yeah i agree in theory that all works great um logistically as a practical matter trying to get damages against somebody it's basically impossible because you'd have to hire a lawyer and he'd have to take it on a contingency and uh, you know the people have to they have to be uh uh, recoverable. I mean, the fact that I get a judgment, good luck collecting it. But you and I are on the same page. I still don't think it should be regulated like they do. That's preposterous. Uh, because as we both know, a regulation uh, for speech like that to say, to claim that it's there to actually protect people from uh, uh, having their reputation destroyed, that's ludicrous. Uh, they're the entire purpose of that kind of thing is to make sure that they can destroy the reputations of the people they want to and the people who they don't want to have uh, their reputations destroyed. Um, they don't really have any way to come back. You know, well, they what destroy about, or they don't. So if so, you're you podcast and you don't seem to hold back on your skepticism about <laughs> this being a pandemic because right. there aren't any bodies anywhere. And I wonder myself, like I fear a little bit because they pick and choose who they go after with this kind of stuff. Sure. Could they go after a person and say, you, you were, you told people it wasn't real and then they didn't wear a mask and they got sick and we're going to sue you into oblivion because of that. 
Well, I mean, there's no defense if the system itself decides to do that. If an individual who's unsupported by the system attempts to do that, they'll go nowhere. If the system itself is supporting somebody with some kind of phony baloney lawsuit uh, and they push it through into the courts and everything else, well, you know, you may, I may get tagged. I don't know. Um, I don't personally think if they believe me, they put me in front of a jury that at least I would be entitled to a jury. I, I feel pretty comfortable in front of a jury that that's not going to happen. But there is no defense against a rigged system that they decide to go after you. And so I don't right. worry about those kinds of things yeah. because, in fact, there's no defense. It doesn't actually, matter. They'll make something up if they want to. If it were that if it if it got to that point, they do make stuff up or they could off you for that matter. Of they course. Could I have, they'll, they'll find kitty porn on my machine before they'll do anything yes. like that. Just, you just know, so the whistleblower, the yeah. whistle, there was a whistleblower, Donald Sackleben, right. who was who did they did find he blew the whistle on Brennan and like the second underwear bomber in Yemen. And he went to jail for kitty porn on his computer. This Bingo. is an FBI agent. Yeah, he's got something. That's what I'm saying. This is the deal I tell people all the time. It's like, look, you know, you do it. You do it in a way that's rational and that's reasonable. And if they decide to go after you, it doesn't matter if you've done it. You've done nothing wrong. They'll yeah, just invent something. Yeah, live for your die, buddy. <laughs> yeah, they'll just they'll just invent something. Yeah, so, right. Um, you know, what, what I say online, I don't tell people that, that, that there's no danger. I just say the danger is absurdly uh, overblown. And whatever right. danger there is, even if there was 50 million people dead, the right. government still doesn't have any right to do what it is doing. So and, oh, I it's have irrelevant. To but Binkley has a question for you first. There was a story a few days ago about the first wave of COVID-19 workplace lawsuits that have arrived where workers are or employees are filing lawsuits claiming that they contacted the coronavirus as a result of their employer's negligence. And there's a debate that's emerging about whether or not Congress should grant businesses liability protections <laughs> during the epidemic. <laughs> Well, I mean, again, it's preposterous. One, those types of lawsuits, to the extent they're even out there, they're just they're just just a shakedown. I mean, the the company, if it's a large enough company, has to make a business decision, just like you do if you're a you know a linebacker and you gotta <laughs> you gotta make a business decision. There are they going to settle a case like that? Who knows? I mean, they can't even isolate the virus. How are you ever going I to know. lose cause and effect on this kind of thing <laughs> in a true. real trial? It's well, never going to happen. That's the thing is that I, I remember I had a friend who got a speeding ticket and he said it was a speed trap and he went to court and he proved that they had done a study of the area and the speed limit was supposed to be set higher than it was. So they set it low. He was speeding and he got away with it because it wasn't like the correct law. And I wondered if that if there are real standards, this is I mean, I can't imagine this is within your experience, but you seem to know like everything. So I'm asking you, is there a system? Is, is there a general rule where you have to kind of present with especially with this kind of policy, which is outside the realm of what anybody libertarian would think was in the purview of government, but it is what government says they have the right to regulate. Don't they kind of have to come up with evidence and basically a cost benefit analysis, especially for health policy? Maybe it's not a technical cost benefit analysis, but uh -huh. surely they have to make some evidence based decisions. And I don't see that here. And I don't know how they're getting away with that. Maybe that's not a real thing. 
You, you, are you saying, are you asking whether or not Congress has to have some kinds of objective findings in order to pass the law? Or are you talking Well, about- I don't think, con- I'm not talking about the con- the congressional laws, although I'd be fine with that. You know, they just shut down okay. the whole, So you're talking about- But I'm just saying the- like in the cities, they're saying you can't, you have to wear a mask or they're, they're putting uh-huh. people in jail. I have a friend who's might be going to jail for having had a party at his Irish pub on on St. Patrick's Day. And I just mm-hmm. feel like whatever law it was that they used a regulation, last minute regulation they used against him, don't they have to justify that somehow? Not don't they have to, but isn't it customary for them to justify that? Uh, so you're saying that you get charged with a crime and then you want to go in and use as a defense that the law itself is in effect not valid because they didn't jump through the proper hoops and therefore it has no basis? I guess that it's an uh-huh. arbitrary health regulation that right. you can't put me in jail for if it's not, you know, it's just because sure. well, there's something there, you know? Well, there's countless re- I mean, they haven't done anything. And, and the, of course, the idea that they have to do anything is just an illusion. They don't have to do anything. Right. They, they can do whatever they want. They can get away with. And, in a situation like this, it's not significantly different than whenever there's a national problem. I remember back in 2008 with all the mortgages that melted down and they had that uh, electronic MERS system they'd set up. And of course, every one of those mortgages, uh, when they had the titles, the titles were not properly filed because titles, in, this, this title law in states requires this very specific paper document trail and they didn't have it. And also in effect, all those mortgages they were trading around through MERS, they really had no right whatsoever to ever foreclose on any of them. And it's similar to this kind of thing where, you know, they don't really have a basis for any of this, but they just start saying it. And then that's probably one of the reasons why the federal government might want to step in. It's the same reason they have these friendly suits by attorney generals, which is how they washed it out. 2008, they brought these these attorney generals brought suits on behalf of all these people to supposedly protect them. And all it really was, was a way to make sure that all these MERS uh, titles that you were you were poured out if you tried to fight it. Yeah, <laughs> because that's it was, what was a guaranteed winner for you because right. they couldn't possibly prove they had a right to foreclose because they were in violation of the statutes. Right. And they'll so do the same kind of thing here. Yeah, that's what I was thinking is that there has to be some at least for show kind of recourse and how do they get around that? And, and yes, a show, a show, a show. that they could control. Yeah. That 100%. It's yeah, all it is. It's that. always a show. If it's, if it's any kind of bigger kind of lawsuit, the attorney generals always jump in and just make sure they clean it all up. That's all that right. ever happens. Right. I understand. And they'll do so, the same thing here. So when you look at, I mean, I hear how cynical you are about government when I listen to your show. And I mean, that you, yeah, I'm an anarcho-capitalist. I actually am moving towards agorists and like thinking that there should be agrarianism and barter in, in my world. Like I want to buy land somewhere in the middle of nowhere. That's where I think we are right now. And I went from zero to 60 just during the Corona times. I started out by reading Ted Kaczynski's, just by coincidence, he, he put, he has a new book that I don't know if you've ever read his manifesto or I read his like, manifesto years ago. Yeah. So it, I had never read it and I read it just, just as this thing was beginning. And he is like, it's all started with the agricultural revolution. Like it's all, you know, every, every state is a slave state is how I kind of shorthand it. And 
And then this Corona Times thing came, and I'm looking around. I'm like, wow, they just snapped their fingers, told everybody to stay home. At any moment, they could withdraw our access to food. I mean, we are absolutely, completely dependent on them. And I can be a libertarian all I want and defend the Bill of Rights, but the fact is... I have no actual independence or liberty if I don't have any actual autonomy. So that's where I've gone. And I've never heard you talk about kind of what your your next step thought is about how far we've fallen in such a short amount of time. And if it has changed your idea of what the kind of hope is or the future looks like. Yeah, I get this a lot as well, actually on my Twitter thing and, and in person, I because what I tell people is very depressing to them. And so they want hope. And, you know, it's a, I have a variety of things. I actually did a show on why, and it's, it's, I haven't released it yet. It's, I think I'm going to let it bring it out next uh, Monday. But it's, it's, it's a very interesting question. It has several parts, in my opinion. One, is this something we're talking about hope or are we talking about a practical uh, application for improving our lives? Well, either one. So there's the one Harry Brown wrote, How I Found Freedom in an Unfree World, which is basically carving out your, I feel it's like it's carving out your space in the system as it is. But I feel like there's no security in that whatsoever. And I mean, I, I'm not going to get into all the reasons why I think that, but now I feel, I feel like the only answer is to have a backup plan, at least have some arable land with a source of water on it. You know, like that's how sure. I'm thinking. Hope is useless to me because it keeps people in the feeling okay about a situation that may just be binary. They let you live like this or they don't. And if they don't, <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah. I, uh, <clears throat> well, you know, for me, I, I think I probably have a slightly different view that doesn't provide a lot of comfort for a lot of people. Um, mine's based more in the fact that I'm not a big believer that this is the only life I have. And uh, I'm much more of a sort of yogic kind of view on life. And so this is more of a big giant movie. Now, as far as being able to operate within the system, I had a great system set up. It worked like a charm and I could avoid all the general public and I could do my thing and I didn't really have to deal with a lot of different kinds of people. And then they blew it all up. And so <laughs> right. the reality is it's very clear to me that there are no rules. There are no longer any limits that anything you attempt to do inside the system is vulnerable. They can crush you. You can go get land. They'll just come get it. I mean, the water rights will just shut them off. I mean, if they want you, it's always right. the same. If they want to terminate your situation, then they do. And so it's just a question of provide how much additional bumper room do you want? And I've got buddies who would live overseas, they're expats. I've got people who live in the States. I've heard a whole bunch of different variety of things. And for me, me personally, I don't have a problem with the fact that it looks like we're in the end game and the likelihood I'm going to be able to successfully defend myself and have some kind of wonderful kind of golden age retirement kind of crap. That's just out the window. And I'm okay with that, you know, because that's reality. And I don't think, honestly, that you, there's going to be anywhere to go. That doesn't mean that if you go out in the middle of nowhere and do that stuff, that you won't buy yourself significantly more time. I think there's a good likelihood you will because everything's going to be done by priorities. It's just, one, I have no skills. Two, I don't really like being out in the middle of nowhere. I just don't enjoy it. And in order to get away, I'd have to go and live in the middle of nowhere. Well, I don't want to. So... I'd rather just die in my little mud puddle than I would <laughs> go out and try to scratch out something. I don't, ha I don't have survival skills. I can't go to Alaska and build my house and ride around on a snowmobile and hunt. I don't know how to do any of that stuff. 
Okay, I don't know how to do it. I'm not going to learn. I don't care. If I, I'm, if I am going to go out, I'm going to go out doing what I've already decided to do. I'm going to try to work within the system. I'm pretty damn good. If you give me rules, I can read them. That's you know, what I was wondering, that you right. have an advantage, I think, that I think that if you're savvy about the system and you know right. the rules, like you have a better chance because those are your skills right. staying alive <laughs> in this situation. And there's always exceptions. There's always faringified exceptions to everything. And I know a couple good buddies who are doctors. So this thing has to be administered. Nice. Okay, well, I have doctors. <laughs> they can administer it to me. Right. Right. Um, we have no idea what the rules are going to look like. And, and until they come out, I've just told the people I'm around, I'm like, you know, I can't make a decision until I see what the actual terrain looks like. What is the legislation? We, we still haven't seen anything yet. Now, Do you have? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, I'm just thinking that maybe they'll try to take a huge bite. Maybe they won't. Maybe You know there's going to be a lot of pushback against some kind of mandatory vaccine, but much less against testing. And so there there's so many different ways they could go. I'd like to wait and see what we actually have. It's a rule of thumb I have, which is I don't solve problems I don't have yet because I have plenty of problems to solve. And so I wait until I actually have the problem in front of me and then I look at it. And that's where I am at this point. Well, do you, I mean, I think it maybe takes a, a little bit of foresight or vision to think of the possibilities Maybe not, but is do you have any feeling of kind of like who who runs the show and what their end game bigger picture might be? Like I just look at technology and I think if they were trying for totalitarianism 70, 80, 100 years ago, they did not have the tools to really make that stick. But now I feel like they do and they've plugged us all into that system. And if there is some kind of big cabal but i know you have the very big picture which is this life doesn't matter as much as some people think it does but how about a big picture on the who's running things and where are they headed on the practical matter of where things are headed i i all i can know for sure is that they want more and more control and they want us to have a much worse situation because they like to have a better situation. And it's very clear they can never be satisfied. It won't matter if they have the entire world in complete lockdown. They're still not going to be satisfied because they're very dysfunctional, either people or something else. Who knows what they are? Um, they could be anything. I, I have a hard time believing that they're even human just because how they seem, their motivations are so foreign to me. And it doesn't mean they might not just be sociopaths or psychopaths. Maybe they but are. A whole, I don't know. Yeah, a whole cabal of them. Because when you look at my my view of this thing, have you are you familiar with the event two hundred one from oh, October? Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. the coincidence. Yes. So we <laughs> we were on terrestrial radio for eight and a half years. I was on for eight and a half years. Binkley was my producer in Atlanta, which is where the CDC is. And I would say everything I thought on that show, I mean, I never held back. And when I started talking about Event 201, I just got my walking papers there just out of nowhere. And that was... So I looked at at that and I... So let's say this whole thing is is planned that it has it, it was that was the planning grounds those are the blueprints everything is unfolding when i think about the amount of of pain and suffering and the lives that will be lost just from the cruelty of destroying everything that really billions of people probably 
are are much worse off. That to me does seem superhuman in in its in its coldness and it's like as if they think they're a different form of life. So yeah. I, I think I, cattle. It's like yes. the way that we look at cattle almost. Yeah, they're they're yeah. very. It's similar to someone who's a very uh, callous rancher who treats their animals poorly. I think that's a, a pretty close analogy. I remember that there was a guy and he was from Britain and I can't remember his damn name now, but he died. Uh, he was like in his late 30s. This was about two years ago. Died on a couch. He was investigating the uh, the pedophilia at some of these major U.S. bases in Europe. And he was in Poland at the time that he died. And the reason I bring him up is because his his theory and the stuff he wrote about was that these the creatures that are at the top and i'm not saying i'm endorsing or promoting because i haven't looked into it and I, it's another type of thing we can never know but that what they did they actually used as an energy base fear fear and trauma was what they used that's what they wanted that's what they grew on and as crazy as that sounds you know, you look at what they do and what happens in the world, and that's <laughs> it's yeah, hard to say. It's not it at least plausible. And it, they and killed it, him. See, they killed him. Uh, wow. They gave him a heart attack, late 30s, absolutely perfect helps, no problem. They killed him when he was looking into that stuff. And so, you know, he was touching a nerve. And... It doesn't, it doesn't mean that it's right. It just means that, you know, when you it's, take, they take people out has, who really touch the nerve and get traction. Was this yeah. Maxwell who, Bates Spires? Is that who you're talking about? What was his last name? Said again. Spires. Maxwell Bates <sighs> Spires, 39. That could have been him. Yes. Cause he's a Brit and he had a, but he yeah. had like a German name and they, uh, his stuff was really fascinating and, I just remember thinking, because I'm always noticing these things, these people that either die or or have these weird things happen to them. And then you look into it. And it's like, oh, OK. I Do you know who David Crow is? David Crow. Uh, on David the, Crow. I, I, Infectious myth. Yes. OK. Yes. OK. So I love that guy who was on my show earlier this year. He, in my opinion, brought the most valuable insight into the the, the germ theory and its weaknesses mm -hmm. And he was diagnosed with cancer in June, and he died in July. Right, and you know they—if you look online, there's a there's a British guy. He's done a lot of interesting uh, YouTube videos. He's he talks about all the information they had. They had a lady that they could give you all sorts of different cancers and stuff back in the 1960s in just a matter of two yeah. weeks. And so, you know, you look at these these different guys down in South America and Central America, the preposterous yes. rates that they get all this cancer. And it's just Chavez. totally impossible as a statistical matter. And the, the reason those kinds of things, they resonate with me is that I use kind of a reverse barometer. If it's not really even in the news and no one's even asking questions about it, well, that tells me most of what I need to know. You know, right. that's an interesting thing for John Quinones to do, right? Why is it? You know, why isn't John Stossel doing something? He's supposedly so practical and pragmatic. Why isn't he curious about something like that? But no one ever is curious about these things that really matter. Right. Um, they're off limits. That's all. They're just off limits. And, and then uh, people who I feel like people who go where are off limits. I know these seem like trivial examples, but I think they were people who were not afraid of saying what they thought. Joan Rivers and Anthony Bourdain, I'm totally suspicious about. Yeah. 
man. And but one thing about like the power at the top and that that level of if they're like different kinds of whether different kinds of people or different kinds of entities, there's this whole layer of clearly it seems to me clearly just like us bureaucrats who mm-hmm. who follow the orders who are happy to you know it's very I keep who thinking are witting, of like witting participants. yeah <laughs> they're just participants yeah. and they're happy to do it even though I mean it's like Soros says when he worked for the Nazis he was 14 and he was like whatever this is fine this mm-hmm. whole conversation makes me think of this Willie Munsonberg who. <laughs> I discovered – I know – I've been studying this propaganda of Bernays and all these – Laswell and all these guys from the Committee on Public Information and back in the 1800s, Lennon and all these guys. But I had never heard of this Willie Munzenberg until Monica sent this book, Double Lives, Spies and Writers in the Secret Soviet War of Ideas. And it's fascinating to read about all of the covert networks of power set up just around the world that are run by these people that you never see or hear of. What what can you what are your thoughts on these kind of propaganda networks? You know, I think they're probably so much more extensive than than the average person can ever imagine. Um, there, it's just well, especially now with the electronics, uh, they have the ability to collect so much data, yeah. and, and and so I think men on the ground so much like uh, they had with Munzenberger's. Uh, sort of mastery that guy was a genius you know dude was incredibly uh brilliant in the way he approached things but he didn't have access to the kind of stuff they have now which is people voluntarily signing up to to to, just just put their life online and and show everybody you hardly even have to go about collecting the data just a matter of of housing the data in huge computers and then and then sorting the data it's not even so much collecting anymore and so I think the game has probably changed over time, um, especially with AI. That is a huge game changer that most people just, they do not understand what a game changer that is, how much they see and read is controlled by AI, just the ungodly ability. This type of insane corona event um, could never have happened even with the world's most extensive kind of Munzenberger uh, uh, setup in the past. Because there just was no ability to write the articles and to disseminate information. Yeah, that's what I think about the technology being the difference maker here. Huge. That you're just going to get that. And one of the things about the kids now homeschooling, of course, we all want our kids to homeschool. It's great, great, great. I think they're putting them in this pipe and they're going to be sorted and curated by AI. And you can't move to the next level until you're... Auto, auto teacher says, okay, you check the right boxes. I think they're funneling the kids through the AI is how this, where this is going. Yeah, they could very well have a certified AI have to pass the student because they don't want to allow what, what they're calling now is pandemic pods, which is really just parents getting together with other parents and hiring a teacher, them teaching uh, just a small group of kids themselves like they used to do it before public education. But they want to stop that. So they've been trying to demonize that in the news as of the past couple of weeks. And AI could be a way to do that here. Are your certified AI has to approve till you go to the next round? You can't go to the next round. Bring in one of our teachers. <laughs> It's, I, I hear these guys. I think I'd never heard of this. Would you call it something pod? They what call it a pandemic pod is what they're calling it. <laughs> I hadn't, uh, <laughs> hadn't heard that. But whenever I hear anything like this, I, I, I see these things in the news. I hear these things. They just crack me up because they're just 
they're so preposterous on their face. Yeah. I always picture how brainwashed a human being has to be to hear something like this and to think in any way this is going to be legitimate, that somebody from government is going to show up at your house and is there to actually help you. Yeah. I mean, it's just mind bending to me. It is. Yeah. And I think that that's like brain control, brainwashing in action. It's It subverts all logic and people are like, yeah, okay, okay. Completely. I mean, they understand the psychology so well. Yeah. And they keep that from us. But I've gotten to oh, the point yeah. where when I see them with the mask mandates and <laughs> like today they came out with lemons, limes, and oranges are tainted. And I'm thinking, <laughs> what? <"There's>, yes. <laughs> they, they, last week it was onions. And it's just like, hey, lemons, limes, and oranges are, have C, salmonella yeah. on them. It makes me feel wow. like they're trying, they might be trying to hurt us. Wow. I mean, there's, li- there's just, there's no limit to what people will believe. It's become oh. abundantly clear. I have to blow your mind with one statistic, though. <laughs> this is completely irrelevant. I just want to make you laugh. So, and you're the only person I know who would actually laugh at something <laughs> like this. So, there was a study done by the Journal of um, JAMA, the American Medical Association Journal, did a study, published a study from April in New York City, where they examined a bunch of groups of people. And one of the groups of people they looked at were people over 65 diagnosed with COVID. And they had people who went on ventilators and people who did not go on ventilators. So the people who did not go on ventilators, their mortality rate was 26%. The people over 65 who did go on ventilators, their mortality rate was 97.2%. So basically, if you're in the group that goes on the ventilator, you're definitely going to die. Right. So why put anyone on a ventilator? Oh, see, they were very serious cases, though. See, they had I know, to get but, them on a ventilator. <laughs> it's they're definitely going to die. But they were definitely going to die on the ventilator. If you can figure out who's going to die and who's not going to die to that level of refinement, then just kill yeah, them. You get, get $39,000 for putting <laughs> right, them on yeah, a ventilator. Yeah, so as soon key. as they come in, it's like, whoa, I think we need to put you on the vent. I, yeah. I immediately think of that Monty Python scene with the bring out your dead. and. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, actually, I'm feeling a lot better. No, I'm no, he'll be dead, dead soon. He'll be dead soon. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> and the the thing about that one is that two of my very close friends, one guy I've known for 45 years, and he's an MD, and one of my other friends I've known for 25 years, he's an MD. And the reality is they both said that what's happening here is, is not something that requires a vent. These people are having embolisms. And when you put someone who's having an embolism on a vent, you kill them. And it, that's that's the problem is putting them on the vent was what was killing them because since nobody's allowed to speak honestly about what this might even be, you just have to follow the script that this is COVID. And then you look down through your reimbursable CPT code and you see what, quote, best, best practices are. And the CDC releases new crap every single day. And all they do is just try to run through the thing in this organized fashion to collect the maximum amount of money. And while they have the wrong idea that this thing's a virus and it does X, Y, and Z, well, what happens if that's all not true? Well, that's what, what happens I think. if that's not true. Then you're going to kill them on the vet. Yeah, I think all the po- all the deaths are from policy, and then then you see that they're handing out liability protection left and right, even over and above the fact that they're already protected for doing anything that's a sure. policy. 
But God knows how much malpractice yeah. was was occurring there. You know, you had this weird anomaly that occurred in New York City, the same exact place where they had 911. You have this oddity that's not been reproduced anywhere else and that now nobody's allowed to go investigate Cuomo, let allow an independent right. investigation of what went on. Well, of course you can't allow an independent investigation of what went on because what went on was a bunch of crookery and they killed a bunch of people and that's the way it is. And so, of course, you can't go investigate it. But whatever it was that happened, and we don't know what happened. Too. Nobody knows what happened. You weren't allowed in the hospitals. It all happened in just a few hospitals and then at these nursing homes. And, of course, what they do? Yeah. They don't allow anybody to go in the nursing home. You still can't go in and check on people. Yeah. So you have no idea what's going on with their health. They could Literally, they could be injecting people. There's no way to know what's going on. You just trust. And I've told people before, if... If a private entity shut down access to a hospital or a nursing home, didn't allow people in, then they started having fantastically distorted population deaths statistically, <laughs> there'd be, be a criminal investigation and they'd be sued. But the government does it, shuts them all down. The exact same thing happens. And people run around virtue signaling about uh, how, how what a fantastic job they did and all the lives they saved. It's it's always upside down. I saw a little bit of the Trump show yesterday. I hadn't watched that thing in months. I know it hadn't been on for a while. But he's out there. He's literally throwing out numbers like, well, they're doing a fantastic job. They're doing a wonderful job. If we hadn't shut this down or I hadn't closed it down, we'd have a million and a half, two million deaths. These are just made up numbers. Why don't you just say 20 million deaths? We have no information at all to prove that they saved a million and a half lives, two million lives, even one life. There's no evidence for even one life. Yeah. And yet they act as though the, all this stuff is saving all these lives because, again, nothing has to connect up in any way to reality. They just have to say it. That's all they have to do is just say it. That's what the That's FBI it. does, too, when they entrap someone who sure. is really of low IQ into – you know, making a bomb or something that the FBI made and brought to them and then arrested after giving to them. But the ventilator stuff, while all this was going on, while these people were dying at a high rate, which we pointed out really pretty early on because of the experience that I, I, yeah, I've had has with experience with, yeah. And so uh, he knew the vents. He was like, don't put people on like, vents. The, those are they tell you when, they, when yeah, you like, put a family member on a vent, they say this person is probably not going to come off. That's the talk you get when someone goes on a vent. And all this all this dying is going on, yet the media is is saying, we don't have enough vents. We don't have enough ventilators. Invoke the, the Defense Production Act and make more ventilators. And now Trump is promoting how we have more ventilators than everybody in the world. They, yeah, 100,000. Yeah. We can kill them at a faster rate right. than anybody. We can These kill are great twice. numbers. Right. It's <laughs> no that, one's ever seen is, numbers like this. Right. No one thought we could do it. <laughs> it does seem a little Hitler-esque, whatever. Yeah, well, it's just all so era. silly because it's all totally disconnected from reality. Nobody's even, there hasn't even been any discussion about whether or not this is a bioweapon that we created. But that there may be multiple bioweapons yeah. that have been released. It's not even something you're allowed to investigate. Neither side's talking about it. Yeah, just all of the information flows through government. All of the narratives are tightly controlled. And that's... To me, it's always the simplest answer is that, oh, okay, well, they're not even asking the right questions. That's the key to me. It's not whether or not you get straight answers because you're never going to get straight answers out of government or anybody else. Right. The question is, are they even asking questions that could get an answer that could be damaging? 
But, that's but they why don't I thought, even do that. It was so telling that in eight and a half years of me saying that I thought Boston Marathon bombing was an inside job. I knew where MH370 was. I mean, I would like lay out details. Miriam Carey has Obama's baby. Like I was saying stuff that was great. You know, it wasn't crazy. I was like offering evidence. But the thing that got them to say, oh, we're taking you off the air. It just happened to be when I started talking about this stuff. And when you right. go and listen, like absolutely no one is asking the real questions. But here's the thing that I think is just I can't get away from. I, I feel like if you look at like my dad, probably your dad. Well, I don't know about your dad. <laughs> but my dad was skeptical. He fought in World War II and he came back and he had this book, Backdoor to War. And he w- read it. It was about FDR letting Pearl Harbor happen. And I and I feel like in the that was in the 50s. Maybe it's a romantic fantasy, but I just feel like in the 50s, there were still, it was harder to fool all of the people all of the time. For sure. Oh, for sure. I mean. So it's because of that, that we've got this problem is that people are just so, they, I don't know if it's trusting or stupid or we can't be stupid, but, you know, we probably have the same IQs. Just (laughs) so much, you know. And lack of critical analysis and. That thought People, you have to. Get I think in line they grossly underestimate the uh, the damage that television does. I really think they do, and now with the smartphones, even more so. But Way. you know, just sitting in front of a TV, you really are hypnotized. And you know, that first sort of generation that kind of grew up with TV is really kind of my generation, maybe a little before, in some in the fifties kind of thing. But there wasn't a huge amount on. Even when I was a kid, there was really only three channels in a UHF. And you watched a little, but you didn't just sit there and watch TV all day. I was outside all day. and I watched well, three channels at once, man. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's screen and screen. You can do it on the same screen. Yeah. And there's just clearly a, a large portion of the population is simply incapable of defending themselves against that brainwashing. Now, because it's very similar to me to why people I get people all the time. Well, how come some people can see it and some people can't see the scam? It's like... I can't answer it outside of the fact that I don't see any connection between uh, education, uh, any kind yeah. of financial situation, race, age, gender, nothing. I, there's people from all over can see. And then there's a huge number of people who can't see. And even when you tell them directly, they can't put the pieces together and... I think that TV is very similar in that it just has a massive effect on a huge portion of the population. And then on other parts of the population, it affects them, but they're able to overcome it if they care to. And well, they, yeah. it's just there it is. I mean, the, the population is so fantastically brainwashed now. But, you know, the other part of that is that. Yes, people saw it, and there were public figures like in the 30s, McFadden, all sorts of people spoke out, you know. They killed um, him, did they not? And and they kill him. and and But at least there were people in public positions who actually spoke truth. Right. And they called out the people. And yeah, they paid a price for it. There's no doubt about it. But you don't even have anything remotely like that today. Nobody is out there as a public figure, uh, certainly at a, at a high level, that's speaking any truth at all. What and about Kanye? I yeah. thought I don't like Jeff Sessions' policies at all. He's just a neocon, I guess, whatever. But 
I thought he was kind of like had the courage because he's he has that he had confidence in his intelligence and experience. And I, I suspected that they kind of pulled him into the administration and then dirtied him up and threw him out because he would have been difficult in the Senate over some things, not most things. But anyway, it's that's possible. just a weird thing know. for me. But there's something about the TV I wanted to comment, which is. And I got this from Kaczynski's thing, his most this recent thing, which is really just the old thing, um, that that TV and Prozac and all this kind of stuff is is a function of a very unhealthy kind of level of stress, uh, unautonomous, like overworking kind of thing. And I can see that in that this. So I used to be an investment banker and I would just. If I even if I got off at two in the morning, I would just drink or whatever. I just had to like mm-hmm. let go. And then <laughs> I was a mom and I was reading Tolstoy in my spare time. And now I'm doing this and I'm mm-hmm. like literally doing both. I'm like just watch right. not Tolstoy. I'm just watching TV and drinking and just trying to turn it off because all I do all day now is follow the news, which is exhausting, you know, emotionally and mentally. And I feel like that to to get people to just have to be weekend warriors or let loose at night, like they're the whole structure of the system has to kind of be like that because you wouldn't, you do kind of get hungry for a little activity, a little mental activity, a little physical activity. That's why I feel like the protests were just, all they had to do is lock everybody up for 10 weeks and then say, the only thing you're allowed to do is go run down that street and throw bricks through this window or whatever, that they really wouldn't even have gotten the rise, that the whole structure of the system is set up to to s- circumvent the kind of complexity of the human spirit that's kind of oh, for sure arranging arranging idea but i just i feel like they are so sophisticated and that nothing is they they control it more than some people think binkley i think yeah. disagrees with me the mind control box which netflix we talk about this a lot the founder of netflix and its first ceo was the son of edward bernays the famous propaganda the not nephew. kind of famous propagandist freud's nephew we they do have it's a brilliant plan for them because we work all day and then we go to escape to veg out in front of a mind control box that when our minds are at its most weakest and least critical and most receptive to manipulation we escape to a box that feeds us with propaganda in that vulnerable state just washes over the naked brain yeah and that and it's it's more indirect as opposed to the more direct propaganda we might see I have teenagers plugged directly into the matrix. Like my my daughter will say to me, I don't care if you're right. I cannot believe you or I will be ostracized. Yeah. Yeah, And she Mm -hmm. sees the videos on YouTube, which warns her against people like me. (laughs) Yeah, it's not it's no joke. She's like, oh, Oh my my gosh, there's this video about do you know a truther? Like, are they blah, blah, blah. Truther. Yeah, I know. A truther. Aren't you a truther? Isn't everybody (laughs) fucking truther? (laughs) And there's these signals, these language signals that tell people whether or not you're a truther and should be avoided. Like hydroxychloroquine, as we talked about earlier, if your doctor says that, then your doctor must be a Trump supporter and you need to stay away from that Nazi. (laughs) That kind of... Just the level is so funny to me. There was an interesting book in the 70s, I don't know if you've ever seen it, called Four Arguments for the Elimination of Television. And it's a small book. It's really, really a good book. It was written by a guy that escaped the Eastern Bloc. So he came over. He hadn't seen a lot of TV. And 
it was it's just a fascinating or uh, little book because it goes through the fact that it's not just a a bad idea that it's really truly a dangerous technology that people simply are not capable of dealing with because of the way it actually operates and you know you look at at the decline yeah there was a lot of screwed up stuff in the uh, early 19th century hell there's always been a lot of screwed up stuff and people believed all sorts of nonsense but today it's just so, so far from reality. There's literally nobody talking about something that's real out in the public square. It's just completely off limits. And you think about someone even, say, Barry Goldwater. Imagine Barry Goldwater actually being a major party candidate. That guy is really hardcore. You know, he was a seriously hardcore guy. Like, And a guy like John Kennedy, that guy would be a not right winger today. And he was the Democrat nominee. And you look at what we have now, Biden Harris, a man with dementia and some joker like uh, Kamala Harris. She's a cop. I mean, she's just a (laughs) lowlife. She just screws people over. And I mean, and that's being taken seriously. And so that's how far we've fallen in that amount of time. But and I would argue that stuff was on purpose that way, that the radio and the TV and movies Oh, for and sure. Stuff it's all being controlled. It's a, it's a long time plan. I mean, you saw Brzezinski. He wrote in one of his book, was it the Between Two Ages? Yeah, 72. And, I mean, it's just he lays it out. There it is. <laughs> no. it, it's, it's not like it's hidden. That's the And thing his daughter people. is it's a mouthpiece. There. Like there Chris Cuomo's brother, Chris Cuomo is Andrew Cuomo's brother, and he's the news guy who's telling you about what's really happening in New York. I, I, I mean, how many things do they have to have, right? You got Anderson Cooper. You got, you just go who's, down the list of these people. Whose only job outside of in the media was in the CIA. Did you know that? Cooper's only jobs when no. he went to Yale, his two summer jobs were in the CIA. And then he, when he graduated, he decided not to get a real job, but to be this intrepid, independent freelancing reporter who had sure, access sure. to all these right. obscure, like Southeastern <laughs> Asian countries. It's like, really? Are you sure it's you just don't know anybody in the CIA? It, it, it is just, a joke. It's, it's a, a joke. joke. They put it out there. Bill Barr, they, they, even on his Ugh. Wikipedia, they claim he joined the CIA after law school for one year. Well, that's ludicrous. Yeah. I mean, nobody joins the CIA yes. for one year. I mean, it didn't work out for me. So he's he's like obviously a CIA, long-time like CIA uh, deep operative. And and you look at a guy like Colonel Prouty who wrote his book, Secret Team, and that was yes. like early 70s or something. And, you know, he talks about then how they had deep cover agents whose entire careers were spent in the private sector and all these different things. And they may or may not have ever been called on, but they were there with an incredible backstory that was untouchable anytime they needed them. And if anyone thinks that the situation has improved since the early 70s, they're living in a dreamland. Those those operatives are everywhere. And that goes to your Munzenberger question. They're everywhere. everywhere. They're absolutely everywhere. They're buried in everything. They have unlimited funds to finance these jokers. They run the damn drug trade so they get all that dark money. They have unlimited funds. We have no idea. When you have something called the Bank of International Settlements, where all you have is basically a coded ID, at any time they want, they can simply punch in a coded ID, put money into an account, and nobody could ever know. And it's legitimate money. It's in an account. Now, it doesn't even have to be earned. It's just there now. 
<laughs> it's almost impossible to defend against a, an opponent that has those kinds of resources. See, but here's the thing. If they can just, and they can create the money out of thin air, they're absolutely doing that constantly. And I, I just, it seems to me that this can't be about the money. It cannot be about the money. And right. what is it really, like at this point, is it even fun? So it's not about the money. It's about right. something bigger than that. And can it right. even be fun for you? They're basically just domesticating humanity, I guess, as a way to think of it. They're pets. And is that even fun to like make the people so stupid that it's not even fun to dominate them? Like what is the, what's it, what's it all yeah. about? What is the end game? I, mean, I had a friend of mine up over the weekend and we talked a lot. I've known that guy for, you know, 40 years and uh, we talk about it and I just don't see any positive outcome that doesn't even lead either lead to the the mass of humanity being in a very very bad situation for themselves um or there being very very few people <laughs> i just i tend to think that the end game is getting rid of these people and uh that they don't need them because what is the point of keeping a bunch of people around that they call useless eaters, eating up resources and getting in the way of everything? Uh, there isn't one. It's, if you sit down as a cold calculating matter and you say, if I was going to be a person, I was in charge of this and I was a psychopath and nothing was ever enough for me. Because look, think about it. If you have $10 billion, is that not enough? I mean, how are you ever going to spend $10 billion? I had billion a thought about right? this. I you was can. thinking hard about it. Do you ever see the movie WALL-E? Uh, no, I never saw Wally. Yeah, it's just it's a kids thing. But they had all these useless leaders eaters on a ship, and they were mad. Like the the evil empire was this corporation that just sold them stuff. But they just sat around eating it. They didn't produce uh -huh. or anything. And I was like, so that doesn't really make that corporation evil because you're not doing anything. But I thought of a, a reason why they might keep people in situ like this instead of just wiping them out. And it would have to be kind of about the money, which and it also can easily lead to like communism and Marxism, which is not where I mean it to go. The problem is the problem, though. So they take the middle class and the upper middle class and they suck away all of the surplus labor from them in the form of taxes, which then subsidizes that useless eater layer and they consume with all the profits going all the way up to that tiny little triangle at the top. So I just because that's what it seems like is happening right now with the well, that may be an intermediate step. I just say, right. I, I agree. That's what they're doing now. That's what's I'm, happening now. Yeah. I look out at, at the at the, the picture over the next couple of decades, if we even have that long, who knows? But if they do, if we keep going, why would they do it? You know, what is the point of any of that when they I, quite for me, most of the general public, they are an inconvenience. I, I can't stand interacting with the general public. I can understand well, why people would want to get rid of them. I, I have a kind heart, so I would never do that like to Sounds like it. Them. But, 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 you know, it's the same reason I love animals. I would never be yeah. an animal. These are people. They have a right to be here. The fact that they're idiots and they're, they're wasting their lives and they're eating chips and they're riding around in scooters, that's what they want to do. Knock yourself out. I just don't want to be around it. Well, but I think you're- I could see if I controlled as much as they do and I was twisted and I didn't actually yeah. care if I tortured people and stole all their stuff which they clearly don't care right. then I just don't see any outcome that doesn't end up being that there aren't a lot of people left <laughs> well, when when you look at Bill Gates who is the 
most recognizable voice on this health crisis and yeah, he's a Fauci. Man, for sure. And his, yeah. but his his actual his actual claim to fame prior to this, his number one goal was to reduce the population. So it's sure. kind of weird that the guy who no wants to reduce the population is yes. the guy who's supposed to save supposed us all from a it. health problem. Right. That's <laughs> killing Again, people. it's just a blatant, blatant contradiction in the narrative, which I think they do all the time because they love Revelation and the Method. And we've been in Revelation and the Method for 20 years now since 911. Well, that's what Event 201 was. It had to have been. Yeah, they, 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 you know, if you believe the stuff that they write about that stuff, that kicked it off. That was kind of the kickoff to this phase that they call revelation of the method where they don't even attempt to hide it anymore. They literally put it in your face and, uh, that's what they're doing. And the purpose of it is, you know, if you, if when you think about it, it, it does make sense is the problem that, you know, they demoralize the living crap out of people who can see it and just make it such that, there's literally no limit to what they can do because the people who do kind of catch on, look at them and say, wow, they just got it on such lockdown. They literally say the yeah. word and the entire I world know. locks down. But people who <laughs> step out of there, I got, um, I know somebody, I'm in California right now and I know people who are being prosecuted for keeping their businesses open or doing oh, things Jesus. outside the realm. So it's not, <laughs> it looks totally voluntary to me, which is just, disgusts me but i do it i mean i'm not causing any trouble i'm no troublemaker so there you go but but if i were they would actually take steps that so there is that deterrent sure thing and and they are so powerful that you i personally don't feel like i could win that battle well it's a it's always to me it's always a question of whether or not it's it's value i'm not going to step in front of a freight train but that's why i i focus on trying to to explain to people and see if I can convince some people. And I just, you know, it's, I, I get demoralized over time. I gave up writing on my blog years ago, just for oh, the same reason. I liked your so, blog. Like, I, yeah, I've been enjoying it. It's old. I see that, but I've been enjoying it. But this, this is when I lost hope. I got to tell you that I, so I had this radio show and people would call in and they would, everybody would complain about Obama ignoring the Constitution and yada, yada. And then Trump <laughs> got in and I would complain about Trump ignoring the Constitution. And then my favorite quote is, you're just, I said, he's not the commander in chief unless he's called into actual service. Like, stop calling him that. It's not, it, it matters that there's a war. It matters that the Congress calls him in. And whatever. And someone said, you're quibbling about semantics. And so it made people who hate, yeah, hate Obama for the Constitution and claim that they're not racist, which I'm don't don't doubt. Then when Trump comes along, I'm quibbling about semantics when I quote the Constitution. And that's when I kind of gave up. Yeah. Well, they're they're hypocrites. Both sides are just such terrible hypocrites. And, you know, it's been clear to me they're hypocrites for 20 years now. That's the problem. And that's why I exited out of that entire constitutional conservative crap. And then when I figured out what a complete scam the Constitution even is, um, that's when I was, you know, because fully blackpilled. It's a setup. It's a setup for this, like that it was meant to be like the Lysander Spooner thing, like whether it be one thing or another, here we are kind of thing. Yeah, I, I, What's you your know, I go back on and forth on whether or not the some of the founders were clearly bad guys. I mean, that's has Burr shot him for a reason. He was a piece of crap. OK, <laughs> and there's lots of people that really probably needed to be shot. And of course, Hamilton's the one they make a Broadway play out of. 
Of course. Well, all you hear about is the Federalist Papers. But the reality is, it's such a distortion the way people talk about, oh, we fought a revolution out of the Constitution. That bullshit. We did not. We fought it and they got the Articles of Confederation. Right. And to tell me that the people were clamoring for Washington to be a king, what a load of crap. Look what they chose. Articles of Confederation. That is so far from a king. So far right. from a no king. No ability to tax. <clears throat> the, the, the only things they needed with the Constitution was the ability to tax. That's what they really, really wanted and to rule that interstate commerce. And they knew they could grow it over time. But the, the problem I have with the Constitution, the way people talk about it, is, is the way they constantly misrepresent it as though that's what happened after the revolution. It was a long time after the revolution before they brought that Constitution. And if you talk about someone's life, it was a long time. So like years and years and years before it was 10 years, I think. Yes. Years yeah. and One years and years. It's like year. saying it's like saying the war ended in 2008 and now we're going to have the Constitution. Well, it's a whole different group yeah. of people. A lot of the people who signed the Declaration of Independence, they weren't even around for that Constitution. And tons of them didn't trust it because they knew what was going on. And the whole thing is a scam. And the fact that the people ignore that Articles of Confederation and how effective it was at keeping the federal government small. It was I don't totally ignore impossible. It. I talk totally about it all impossible. the time. And yeah. I'll tell you that, go ahead. No, no, I was just, that's right. But people who know understand that, that that power to lay the tax and require it is completely different than the idea that you have to ask the states and they give it to you or they don't. And <laughs> that's it, yeah. that's it. And, and that's, how, that's how it got the two things that I think were, are abil- the ability, or it's like one thing really, that could have, survived, I blame Thomas Jefferson and Marbury v. Madison for getting rid of it, is that you could have had state nullification if they didn't think that the Supreme Court ruled. Because I looked at it and I thought, Congress Congress can pass these laws and the Supreme Court says whether they're constitutional or not. But what if the Supreme Court didn't do that and Congress wanted to enforce it on the states? They couldn't because there's no enforcement mechanism in the Constitution. Then I looked at, so where does the DOJ come from or the FBI? Well, it's just a made-up thing after the Civil the, War. Yes. Nobody, I, I looked into that, and I was like, look, they just did this after the Civil War. <laughs> right, I bet the South wasn't getting in line. Yeah, it's just so, a load of crap. It's right, but because they had the taxes, they could do that stuff. They sure. could get away with it because then all of a sudden they had the money to pay the, the strongmen. Right. Well, I guess I, my position about the Constitution kind of thing, whenever I have interactions on Twitter or some other place, the simple fact is, look, whatever the Constitution was, it doesn't matter at this point because it's been dead since 1861. It's totally impossible right. to hold a voluntary union together with a war. Whether or not slavery is wrong or not, fine. Uh, even though the war wasn't about slavery for the North, it doesn't matter. The, the, the South was fighting to keep its slaves and its, quote, lifestyle. I get it. Slavery was dying anyway. Doesn't matter. Right. Concede every point that it was the worst possible intentions. Okay. It still doesn't take away the fact there is no consent. You can't go down and take a group of people by force and then claim that they're in there with their consent. You just can't. It's there's there is no possible way the Constitution survived the Civil War. It's utterly impossible, regardless of what it was, it is no longer a union of voluntary states. That's it. And so that's what we're told. And that's a that's a blatant lie that I don't have to contest anything in history in order to prove. And so 
That's the reason I don't spend a huge amount of time talking about how the Constitution may or may not have occurred, or what they might have done with it. It's, it's obvious on its face, whatever happened during the Civil War, that's it. Constitution's been dead. It's totally dead. And, and, and to claim it's not dead is preposterous because there is no way logically to have a voluntary union of states where half the states were forced in a gunpoint. <laughs> right. And, and if, if there was an unacceptable, if there were unacceptable terms for you to be in partnership with other states and those terms were there when you entered into that partnership, it's not valid to then start a of war course. to get them to stop that. Well, of course, but- all of the arguments this, that uh, Spooner makes are, of course, excellent. And there's a great book. It's almost unreadable called Disquisition on Government that Calhoun <laughs> wrote. It really is. This, 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 the, the prose is so formal. But man, the reasoning, that dude was a genius. You read that book he wrote in the early 1800s, it completely describes exactly how the Constitution was supposed to work. And he was dead right. Wow. And, uh, what it's book a fast, is that again? It's called The Disquisition on Government. And ter- again, terrible title. I mean, you, you can't even get through the title. The book is so difficult <laughs> to read. But, but it's so interesting. And uh, I remember when I read it, I thought, wow, this is, you know, this, there was a time when there were people who talked about this and they discussed this. And this is a level of, of sort of knowledge and education that's like eons above anything people get. But I wanted to make one interesting point about Marbury because I remember being in law school and getting that stupid class and the very first you know case you read about it in con laws is a ridiculous case. And what's so stinking funny to me about Marbury, again, it's, it's just typical. Everything's upside down. Does anybody remember what the holding in Marbury was? Does any lawyer remember what the holding was? Uh, <laughs> the only thing I remember was that it wasn't even the issue. Okay, then and it was, there it was, was, it was no jurisdiction. The- that right. there's no jurisdiction. Well, every lawyer knows that if there's no jurisdiction to hear a case, to rule on it, that's that that's addressed up front. All jurisdictional questions are addressed up front because there's nothing there's no to point do doing on the case else. if right. you don't have jurisdiction. Well, there's no every single thing that's in Marbury about this this well, we hear the case and all that. That's all crap because it should. It's one hundred percent dicta that never should have been in the, in the opinion at all because right. there's no jurisdiction. The first thing they should have just said was, "We've examined such and such. We find we don't have jurisdiction. There's nothing else to say about it. That's it." And the reason Marbury is what it is, and the reason it's used, is that if he had tried at that time to actually rule and found jurisdiction, try to impose something, they would have impeached his ass, or they might have gone and just simply gotten just dragged him out and hung him because they were not going to accept something like that. That was one of those little tiny kernels they put in there. And then they misrepresent again and again and again. It gets blown up into this big thing. A lot of lawyers also don't know, which is not something I I wasn't taught in law school. There's no such thing as an opinion of the court prior to the time Marshall took over. There was no such thing as that. Do you know that? You ever heard of that? Well, that's the reality. I... uh, Sorry, someone came in. The reality is that every <laughs> every judge. We're keeping you over. Do you mind staying a few minutes? Oh yeah, no up? problem, no problem. Okay. It's, just, it was, it's just the janitorial staff trying to come okay, in. Okay, but the okay. uh, the reality is, every judge wrote an opinion or didn't write an opinion. That was it. There was no opinion of the court. That's just something he dreamed oh, up right. to make it look like it's this sort of you know substantial thing. And I bring this issue up with uh, people. I think I even referenced it in one of my podcasts when the reality is the court sounds like this great thing. But what if there was just one judge up there? If there was only one? 
there's nothing in the Constitution sets the number. They've had a variety of numbers uh, many different times. In fact, the biggest court packing uh, event that occurred occurred yes. right after the Civil War, not during uh, the Depression. That's the one oh. everybody hears about. Yeah, that's the one I thought. Threat court, a threat of court. But packing. that didn't, didn't even occur. happen. It didn't yeah. even happen. But there was actual court packing right after the Civil War. And in fact, uh, they jammed through all sorts of uh, legislation with it by threatening the people and just refilling. And so, again, it's this situation where you could just have one justice. You could. Think about that. You could also, in the Supreme Court, since there's absolutely nothing in Article 3, they could also have those nine justices. And then the Supreme Court itself could say that all we have to have is one justice and eight dissenters. And, and the court opinion holds is one. There's an absolutely nothing in the Constitution that would prevent that. <laughs> this wow. is this is how yeah. crazy it is when you start thinking about how absurd this idea is that the Supreme Court is in charge and tells us the law and all this other bullshit that people spread and that they teach in law school. When I start telling people about these things in the, in Article Three that could actually exist, okay, we have no idea what the uh, uh, any when they when they go into session and they go back and they start thinking about what they're going to do and supposedly writing their opinions and talking about stuff. It's all one hundred percent confidential. We have no idea what they're doing. None. That's just something they make up. The idea that it has to be a majority opinion, that if a majority of five out of four do it, then they, you have an opinion. There's nothing in the Constitution. Oh, yeah, that. there isn't. That's a good point. Why, don't they just, why doesn't it have to be a, a unanimous decision? And like I said, there's the fact that it doesn't have to be unanimous. <laughs> there's nothing that prevents them from just saying, well, if one judge finds it, that's what we do. There'd be absolutely nothing anybody could do about that. <laughs> and so, so when you start thinking about these crazy scenarios that could exist, okay, that could exist under the Constitution, it's just more evidence that what people say the Supreme Court's there to do, it's just not true. It's just not true. That's all. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just simply not true. It's there so to hear one case. That's it. Our, the, this experiment with, with self-limiting government, let's say right. it lasted 10 years. Like I, I figure, I feel like I look at the French Revolution, the Russian Revolution, the American Revolution. It seems like they all kind of lasted 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I, I can't help but think that, it, that it's all a setup from the beginning anyway. So it's right. kind of meant to not really last, but you get the good idea and you get all the people to get behind it and then you right. swap it, swap, swap it out at the top. But right. it be, it begins to feel, I mean, I, I've come a long way in how I've, I've thought about it. Cause for all those years that I kind of interacted with, within this framework, trying to defend the Bill of Rights and, you know, just uh, this defend it to the end. Sure. And I, I recently read a book called Against the Grain, which basically I've been talking about a lot lately, but it, I basically, it just changed my way, the way I think about the world. So it's one of those kind of seminal books mm -hmm. for my thought. And the idea is that like, and I always wondered this, like, was the Garden of Eden true or not a metaphor for the fall of man and the fountain of the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, all about the agricultural revolution and all of a sudden having to work by the sweat of your brow. And I just always had that in the back of my mind. And then I read this, this guy says basically not only that, but the reason the agricultural revolution became the system is we had 4,000 years of people kind of being sedentary hunter-gatherers with the understanding of domestication, but didn't just completely turn into an agrarian society. And then cereal grains specifically harvested at the same time were 
capable of being taxed. So the tax man would come at harvest time and take half of it. And then they would even enslave you for it. And it, it got me to think that really the true nature of the state for 10,000 years of its existence, which coincided with the agricultural revolution, was basically this idea of taxation and de facto slavery. And it makes mm-hmm. me it, it makes me feel rather hopeless. And I I feel like you, this is this is my life. My, I'm looking outside on a swing set and a couple of cars like it. I'm not trying to live in an alluvial plane and pick berries as they grow. I just don't know how to reconcile um, true liberty or human nature with with this like extremely complex, very large, essentially control from the top scenario. Like I just, I need to get right. my, you know, see through the board here and I can't, it's, I can't It's do very it. difficult. And, you know, I, I really think that the, the game changer was when the frontier closed uh, on this side, that was it. That was all the land, you know, you used to be able to simply leave and go out and, kind of be left alone. You know, yeah, you had you had problems out there because there's other people living out there. But, you know, it's, this is a very small population um, compared to what we have now. And you could go out and just kind of leave. And I think that was the the big game changer was once there really was nowhere else to go, um, people like me were just kind of screwed because there is no escape. We are now on a closed system well, where there is nowhere to go, where there's not government to come track Jack, Jack yes, over. That's and it. Prouty opened my mind to that in his book on JFK. I think it was like called the JFK assassination or something, but it was about a lot more. Did you read that one? I never read his book not, on JFK. I've never not been the fascinated the other one. JFK, but yeah. No. It's, it wasn't, it was so much more than that. And it opened uh-huh. basically with this idea that during the age of exploration, whenever that was, 1400 something, that Magellan basically made it clear the, the size of the realm to conquer, kind of like that mm-hmm. the, then the kings or the powers that be could get their minds around it. And then just set out to do it. Right. (laughs) And they've done it. And that, and then you can bring it all the way up to like Rhodes, Cecil Rhodes and the British Empire that I think, if I'm not mistaken, he said kind of as it looked like it was, the sun was setting on the British Empire at last. He's like, just go underground, make everybody speak English, spread social democracy, have these wars, open up the markets, and we can still rule the world kind of. And if it all comes to that, but that it is, it feels like a closed system, in which case the only hope is to think outside the system. Which is kind of where we started right. on this. It's not going to work here, so enjoy it and and let's see what the fifth dimension brings. I just tend to think um, that these are long, long cycles, and the history we've been given is a load of crap. I don't. Have you ever read that book, Forbidden Archaeology? Cremo wrote in the early '90s or late '80s. No, I have forbidden <laughs> history. People have sent me a few forbidden books, but it's forbidden archaeology. Say forbidden it again. Jim Mars is the one that you have. Oh, Jim Mars is the one read, I have. Yeah, that one either. Forbidden, forbidden archaeology. archaeology is worth getting. Really? Um, it's a big book. It's maybe 700 pages. The thing that's fascinating about it is that it just shows that – and the thing that's interesting to me about it is that if – if any piece of this, anything in there, and he's got just example after example, it's just clear as day. If any of it's true, then the entire history we've been given is all complete crap. Oh, you have can you give an like example? Dr- 
Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I would give you the example of Dwarka, which anybody can look up, the city off of India that they found now that was allegedly just this sort of uh, spiritual city in books and they didn't think it could exist. Well, now they've actually found it and it's underwater in an, aware, in an area where at minimum the last time that place would have been not underwater in the uh, Indian Ocean would have been... 25 to 30,000 years ago, and it's a huge city, and it's exactly like is predicted in all their books. And so there's other ones, and uh, they found all these different highly skilled tools that were uh, steel and all sorts of other things. They found it inside of uh, things, and when they, were, when they were doing a mining, they would chip out some giant piece of coal or some other thing, and there'd be a tool inside there. Okay, well, it's in a tunnel. They're digging. It's in, there's no How did you get comfortable with this? That you read this and you you feel like it, you're convinced by it. Oh, well, I mean, you have to read his book. You'll see how much yeah. stuff is in there. He has yeah. a fascinating amount of the detail in but there. He has any... all the different news clippings of the day right. of when okay. the stuff yeah. was found. And of course, yeah. things like the Smithsonian Institute, those things are found simply to go around and collect all the stuff of them buried. Yes, People imagine it's there oh. to help them. It's not. It's just around there to collect all the stuff up. Of course, the Vatican oh. archives are the same thing. They go around, but prior to the Smithsonian, they would just travel the world and whatever stuff they find, stuff that screwed That's with what their WikiLeaks narrative, does. they just take, drag it back, they kill the people, make sure they have all the copies, and yeah. they take it back with them, and that's it. And and so these types of things have existed a long time. And I just, for me, as far as the comfort level goes, is that these are just long, long, very long cycles, thousands and thousands of years. We've probably been through countless numbers of them uh, at this point on the planet. And so to me, I get a perverse kick out of the idea that I might get to see the end of one of them. That's kind of cool to me. I mean, <laughs> there's not that many people they get to. And yeah. it's unlikely I will because in all likelihood I'll die uh, in long. a way that I won't be sure. But I hope I could la last long enough to be like, oh, yeah, this is definitely the major calling. You know, billions and billions are going this time. It'd be like, OK, well, at least I got to see it because there's not a damn thing I can do to stop it. Um, I'm, I think of more like Woody Harrelson in that movie, uh, 2012 or something, when he's reporting from the edge of the volcano and the thing's blowing up and he's all stoked that it's blowing up. He just gets blown <laughs> up himself. But <clears throat> there's no stopping it if it's coming, if it's right. coming, it's coming. And I really think that it's gotten so bad, just so polluted people's minds, everything about it's so screwed up that it, you just have to kind of clean the slate and, People See, don't, don't hear that, but I don't yeah. feel it. No, you're actually making me feel better about it because it's a much bigger perspective. And I've actually right. had that thought where like, I thought if I, if I died and went to heaven and I had eternity and God was like, well, you know, whatever, knock yourself out. What do you want to do? I would, my first thought, even since I was a little kid, I thought I would pick a time and live a whole lifetime during a particular time, like the 1900s where I'd look good in a bustle or something. Like I just would, would pick something cool. And then I thought right. maybe I'd pick this it's not bad like i said i mean i don't think it's that bad an outcome if they're going to do it like okay well i'm around for this and i'm getting closer and closer convinced that this is the end game now whether or not that means they take us all out and they get to you know live in some kind of elysium style thing i don't know but whatever it is it's going to be a very big event we are coming up to big events this world is massively changing and i'm in the middle of it and i'm very well positioned and it's not going to blindside me all these people, it's going to blindside. They're not going to know what's coming. I'm going to see exactly what's coming. And it's like, okay. So it's, you know, it's just like I said, it's for me, I get a perverse pleasure out of the fact that these big giant things that move through history, this is a really big one.
I mean, it's a really, really big one. <laughs> to the yeah. extent there are people 150, 200 years from now to talk about it, this will be big. <laughs> big. Well, now you're scaring me again. I was happy. And then <laughs> I, thought, <laughs> I thought, as I see, because if, it's a, if everything blows up, then I don't have to worry about my kids. See, but uh, yeah. if there are people 150 years from now, now I have, you got me back, so now I have to worry. Well, I'm are saying, my kids going to be know. evil? Are they going to be enslaved? Are they going to be oh, tortured? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I mean, I if there's people, it's going to be very few. I really don't see <laughs> that there's going to be large numbers of people. So the chance of them making very low, I mean, I think... I think the likelihood of people getting wiped on a really large basis is huge. You know? I love that that's how he's making you feel better. They're not going to make it. You don't it's to making me feel better a little bit because the one thing I could not live with is if I created someone who would would be able to function in that other world. Like, that's what I don't. Uh, I try to tell my kids, like, if you're not in the tunnel with me, then I don't care if you if you succeed. Like, we're, yeah. we're going to fight in the tunnels or right. you're I'm you're not mine. Right. Well, I, and I know a lot of people that think like that. To me, again, I go back to the fact that, hey, you know, everybody's individual life, they're going to be fine. They're really going to be fine if they're here, they're not here, whatever. They're ultimately going to be completely fine. And again, they might get a, a great pleasure out of being there and, and fighting and doing so. You don't know what they might do. We don't know what any individual might do. And so well, a I lot think- of people are telling me that they've, they're buying land and planting seeds and right. growing animals and they're, and they're enjoying it. Okay, well, then that's great. And I wish them the best with that. You know, I know that's not me. I've just, I've had a lot of people, I know this, I've, I've done a lot of work with disability uh, law in the past. And I've, so I've known a lot of people who are disabled. I've also known a lot of people who say, oh, if I was ever put in a wheelchair, I'd just kill myself. Well, the reality is most people get put in a wheelchair, they don't just turn around and kill themselves. And it's just, you, you, you adjust very quickly to negative circumstances, just like you do to positive circumstances. Same reason you get tired of your Lamborghini after you've driven it for a few months, you're bored with it, they buy something else. It's the same way you can get adjusted to all sorts of different bad situations. And so I would never say that you would feel bad. You should, you certainly shouldn't feel bad for your kids if they make it. They're going to have a life and they're going to be able to, uh, you know, live it and do different stuff. But I care about the morality. So you said that you, you do think that this isn't the whole thing for us. And I care about being that, you know, not being a small, petty, successful little human. I want, want something more. That's well, morality is a personal issue, right? Yeah. I mean, there's really not a morality when it comes. It's just like saying they're the we the people. It's just a made up thing. There's only individuals ultimately. So if they're good moral people, then they're good moral people. And and if they're not, they're not. And if people abuse them, well, then people abuse them. People abuse me now. They, they, I get abused all the damn time. I've been abused countless times. <laughs> I think times. you can hold your own. <laughs> but I get Don't abused. Don't worry about you. <laughs> I get abused all the time. I have many different times through corrupt judges and everything else. It's, oh, yeah. It yeah, doesn't yeah, affect me. You know what I mean? It doesn't affect me, yeah. my own personal morality. I just look at it and say, well, that's a pretty screwed up thing. And of course, most of these morals are just made up things anyway. They really ultimately are. Now, I, I personally like the non-aggression principle, and that's what I kind of apply, that you can't coerce people. But, you know, once you get beyond that, it's pretty murky. <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> it gets pretty murky to me, but uh, I would just to... say, people, don't worry about your kids. They're going to be fine. Uh, regardless of what happens, they're going to be fine. Well, I appreciate that confidence. And I do try very hard to make sure that they're fine. And I actually have a disabled son who has Down syndrome. And I feel like that's the saving grace for my other kids because that kind of defines our morality. 
in that right. you got to take care of each other and that that helps a lot so these are right. they even if they are not human the big capital t they we right. are human and that's a there good go. thing right and that's all that matters and I have a question for you that has absolutely nothing to do with anything, but sure. I also have a cocktail blog, so I have to know what's your favorite cocktail. <laughs> oh, you know, I, I've I've gone through phases. I probably drink a lot of old fashions right now, but uh, um, bourbon. Uh, what do you put yeah, in? Yeah, I like bourbon. Old fashioned. What's your favorite? You know, I like Bullet. Uh, I'm not a. Nice. I don't do a lot of drinking, to be honest. Uh, I used to do a lot more drinking, but I really don't do a lot of drinking anymore. I used to love tequila. I've gone through every one of them except for gin and oh. vodka. I've gone through all the others that I've enjoyed: scotch and bourbon and tequila and rum. And but now I, I kind of like I like a lot of bourbon. Um, well, we have every once in a while we have or I, we have a cocktail show like that's what we do for patrons oh, cool. every uh-huh. couple of weeks so someday we'll invite you if you're if you if it's a cocktail drinking day and you can there you go people will yeah, well, i drink them hilarity. i just don't have a huge <laughs> amount of drinking you know <laughs> exactly right well that was the thing i so i moved out to la and people are just leaving in droves and i recognized immediately that the reason everybody was leaving was not because the bars were closed but because the gyms were closed oh yeah they can't tolerate it Sucks. It's so important to them to have the the um, health clubs open that so maybe I'm out of my element out here. I yeah. liked it better when I lived in Texas. Yeah, yeah, stuff. I like uh, I have to have access to a gym and when they closed it down, it really pissed me off. I got to, had to get my home home gym squared away, which I did. And uh, so now if they lock me down again, I don't care. I got my gym. Right. See, that's total straight out of Harry Brown, how I found freedom in on free world. It's perfect. Well, I I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time. Like, I feel like being that you're a lawyer, I'm like, wow, you know how much how much this guy's time is worth? (laughs) (laughs) I've paid paid lawyers like you don't want to just ask them bullshit questions for an hour and a half. Uh, (laughs) I enjoy talking. I enjoy talking about the topics. I really do. It is so fun listening to your show. I really, I really enjoy it. And I, and I like that there were some ups and downs on the, on the, where is the hope? I'm going to have to pick <laughs> up my favorite L. I might have to take a couple of clips out where it ends. The on hope the, is that your yeah, kids the probably thinking? aren't going to make it through the seventh-rate <laughs> destruction of the planet. That See? made me feel better. <laughs> People say I, I'm not an optimist. There you go. <laughs> If if we did, were to put a clip at the beginning of the show, it's definitely going to be, you're making me feel better because my kids aren't going to make it. <laughs> All right, well, leave them laughing. Thank you so much, Legal Man. And uh, we I always look forward to your next episode. It's so it's just short enough to keep me wanting more. I think it's I genius. Well, I really appreciate it. I've had fun. Thank you, guys. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Okay, take care.